The Davis Vision Spring LASIK sale is going on now. Get rid of those contacts and glasses and save $1,000. Start your road to better vision at Davis Vision. Check them out now at davisvisionmd.com or call them today at 801-253-3080. That's Davis Vision. So for those of you just joining us now in the 7 o'clock hour, we had a rip-roaring discussion about this new college transfer rule. Much anticipated, much expected. We've had multiple coaches talking about it like it was a foregone conclusion. I think Kyle Whittingham and these availabilities during spring football has brought it up or had it. Either he's brought it up or he's been asked about it at least a couple times. Uh, Everyone thinks it's going to happen. And now here it is. It's happening. And PK, you were bringing up, hey, there's going to be intended consequences. There's going to be unintended consequences. And one of the things people have been worrying about or I don't know if they're worrying about it. Maybe they are worrying about it. Maybe they got a kid who's a ninth grader and they're thinking, we got a shot. Wait, is this going to mess it up? Is my kid going to get a scholarship? So I guess some people are worried about it. Others are uh, at least doing the math. What's going to happen to this high school athlete? How many coaches are going to pass on the high school kid to get a transfer from some other school? But simple math here, there's 130 D1 football programs, right? There's 66 or whatever playing Power 5. And they got 25 scholarships per year and 85 total. Aren't there going to be 85 scholarship football players at 130 schools, regardless of what the transfer rules are? Aren't the same number of kids going to end up with scholarships? Now, in the short run, and Kyle's brought this up, it could impact these kids right now because they're giving all the kids who are in school a bonus year. So for a couple of years, while all that shakes out, yeah, some high school kids are going to get squeezed. But I think that's the impact of giving a bonus year in the pandemic. That's not because of the transfer rule. At the end of the day, we're not going to have more high school kids. I guess if your dream is to go to one specific school, you can definitely get squeezed then. 100% you can get squeezed. But as far as if you're a D1 football player, there's still the same number of schools and the same number of scholarships. It's just the okay, squeeze is so on now because of the pandemic. What's so, the point? So then that's not something to worry about. When we start talking about intended, unintended consequences, we had a couple people on our Facebook page bring that up, but I don't think that's something to sweat in the long run. It's something to sweat in the short run of your class of 2021 and class of 2022 because you got all these super seniors. Oh, yeah, but I don't know that they'll uh, continue to have 85 scholarships and all that stuff. That could change. So that could be another a whole other thing to worry about. I mean, the number of uh, athletic programs, uh, particularly for men, are being reduced and not added. And a lot of junior colleges have stopped playing football. And so, and, and that's that's already out there, though. I mean, the, and kids who need junior college uh, either because they're not talented or, or don't have the finances and what have you, and they could use junior college football as a springboard. In many cases, that, that that's been reduced greatly. Uh, so that yeah, that I think problem. that's been reduced by the transfers and all that. Kyle's talked about that on his signing day press conferences that they don't recruit JCs the way they used to. Yeah. So they're the, filling that, the gaps with transfers. That problem already exists. Uh, I think that it's more of a perception as far as just being a a feeder system and the gap between the have and the have-nots. If you're in the haves, you don't really care. And if you're in the have-nots trying to stay where you're at or get better, well, that's a problem because it could be slipping. You know, there's already been talk about why doesn't a group of five form their own and have their own title playoff system and whatnot. 
Well, that just screams second class then. And the dream, which is alive in basketball, even if it's just that, it's still there. And the dream in football then would be cut off. And so you would be uh, labeled uh, as a secondary player. Who wants to be labeled that? Nobody. That's why it hasn't happened. That's why those leagues, the group of five, hasn't formed a playoff. Because the dream is alive, and they don't want to label themselves second class by doing that. Yeah, even it's a sliver of a dream. It's like, I'm going to win the lottery, okay? Yeah. <laughs> and people continue to play the, pay the, play the lottery and buy the tickets and thinking that's it. For, for years, our family and Christmas has given each other lottery tickets. I look at them like, why don't you just give me the, the five bucks? <laughs> I'll take that. <laughs> yeah, it's just a waste. <laughs> you know, you're not going to win anything on that. And so... The odds are astronomical against your favorites. Same deal here, but at least it's still a dream. Uh, I think the perception is something that college football needs to be aware of, of that uh, is we're really getting to a few elite here, and the rest of you, forget it. We just don't care. And, and, I, and I think it's probably going to come to that anyway. And, that the, and I wonder if it will even be within conferences, if the conferences – will look at, oh, why do we need these schools at the bottom who are never competitive? You know, Mark Few has complained about that from the Gonzaga standpoint for years, and the West Coast Conference has tried to tweak itself every which way. And uh, so I wonder, in really you wonder what the face of college athletics is going to look like in 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 years. Uh, will it be, that, uh, you know, like in – why, why go through these things that you're all together in these conferences when some of these schools bring nothing and somebody like a Gonzaga basketball can bring a ton? So could they just have different conferences for different sports and it's not all in one umbrella? So I think we're just at the tip of the iceberg there and we're going to see all sorts of changes going forward uh, and this being one of them. And then you know what what's going to happen once these kids get actual actually get income how's that going to be income above board that they'll have to pay taxes on and all that stuff how's that going to change i mean there's untold number of things that i don't know that we can imagine well what what you said as far as why do we need these schools what do they bring um that, there's already multiple ex- examples of that um i think people in the whack said that about the uh, about UTEP and UTEP wasn't in the Mountain West. And I think that attitude is a part of what drove the way the ACC rated the Big East. And there's been plenty of speculation about the Big 12 and the Pac-12. Basically, you know, merging, taking the top teams off of may, maybe one league takes the top off the other league. I mean, that's kind of what was going on when Utah got in. Um, you know, if, if the Texas schools, if Texas and Oklahoma had come and brought their friends, you know, Texas Tech and uh, Oklahoma State and whoever, then Utah doesn't get in. Right. And there's been talk about, you know, okay, would USC go independent and would the top of the Pac-12 then join the Big 12? It's all kind of speculative and it seems far-reaching. But what we learned from the last round of conference expansion is everything's speculative and far-reaching and just kind of talk until it isn't, and then there's a lot of shakeup, and you can barely keep track of all the players who are moving. Yeah, and, I, and I, there's been talk of uh, the Arizonas going to the Big yeah. 12 yep. because obviously they're 
closer in alignment. And then you hear, well, do I want my uh, whatever women's tennis team traveling? Nope. 2,000 miles. You really don't. Well, then you, then you take that and put it in someplace else. I give you Hawaii and the Mountain West. They put everything in the Big West, which is, you know, the flight right to L.A., instead of putting them all in the Mountain West, and now all of a sudden you got to go to Fort Collins and Laramie. Good luck with well, that. Well, yeah, I think what you'll end up having is why do we even have these teams? So they go away. History, yeah, history and tradition is why you have them. But there's two programs generating money, and then – at some schools, there's maybe a third that breaks even. Maybe they generate a little bit of money. And everybody else costs money. And it was originally, hey, we need this as part of the academic experience, but the mindset's changing, and it's about making the money. Well, if Stanford can drop programs, Stanford, the greatest overall athletic program in the history of college sports, Yep. when you include all that other stuff, and they're dropping programs. That to me, that was a real eyebrow raiser. Wait a second, you know, I've been to Stanford a million times over, and you go over to their tennis facility, and they just list all these people. <laughs> well, their swimming program. I mean, all yeah. these Olympians, and you know, on and on and on. And they, they, what are that? The Rector's Cup spiel or whatever yep. it's called. Yep. I mean, they just own that thing year after year after year. And we saw here the women's basketball beating Arizona to win a ton of the first title since 92. But nevertheless, they've got a great, great program and have had it for a number of years. So the point being, if Stanford can do away with some programs, then the rest of you can too. So well, you the, wonder yeah, the where thing, it's going. The thing about Stanford and the reason to wonder where it's going is that a lot of times when you hear it, it's, it's financially driven, right? They say they don't have the money for program XYZ, and then they cite Title IX and all that. Stanford... And having read a couple of stories on this, Stanford had rich parents. I know Stanford has rich parents. Everyone's shocked, right? Stanford has rich parents who says, we will not pay for these. We will endow these programs. And Stanford has said no. I know. They can't even get on the agenda at the meetings. I don't get it. And, I mean, it's the bottom line. Stanford doesn't want those programs. They don't want them. Which is shocking to me. <laughs> they literally don't want them. And there's speculation about why they don't want them, but nobody has really said why. And there's one theory, well, they want more high-end students and high-end international students because the fencing team doesn't do anything for them in the long run, and they want to get these elite uh, students who are going to be elites 30 years down the road donating back to Stanford. You know, and they want the next secretary of state, and they want the next person who's going to create not just a business but an industry out of nothing, you know, whatever the next Microsoft is 30 years down the road. And they want that, and they've only got their six or 7,000 students, whatever it is, and they want, those, they want those spots back. They don't want to set this many spots aside. That's one theory out there. I don't know what it is. But when the parents are saying, we got the money and we'll endow it, and they can't even get on the agenda – well, then what is the agenda? <laughs> what the heck are you worried about? Because most, mostly we're talking about state schools that don't have these kind of resources. I'll say the wrestling program raised $36 yeah. million. They could fund most right. of the sports on what they fundraised. You know, at the other end of the spectrum, there's this uh, football organization. They send out the National Football Foundation, and they send out these emails all the time. And they constantly spotlight every year about how there's more schools playing football than ever. And then a lot of these small private schools, especially not in our part of the country, but in the Midwest, I guess, and in the South, they had a football team. Kids want to play, and they give them some financial aid, but they're not full-ride scholarships, and they're growing their student body and making money off them. Yes. And so there's more schools than ever playing. Now, the number of D1 schools has gone up because like, 
10 or 20 years ago, it was 120, and now it's 130. You know, the Georgia Southerns and the UMasses of the world move up. UConn starts a program. Um, But these lower-level schools are adding them. So I guess it's going to depend on what kind of school it is and what you want. But the schools that we follow that are the real athletic factories, I mean, to your point, why do Bama and Ohio State want a fill-in-the-blank Olympic sport team? Because what's driving those athletic departments is largely football. Eh, basketball, sure. you know, And there are basketball schools like Kansas. But man, you get beyond that. You know, in the SEC, and you talk to anybody in college athletics and administration, the SEC wants to be awesome in the sports they play. They, they got a lot of money, but they don't play that many sports. You know, there's an NCAA minimum, and they are maybe four to six sports over the minimum. You know, the, 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 the broad-based stuff, those 25, 30, 35 sports you're talking about at Stanford, yeah, the Big Ten and the Pac-12 do that, but the SEC wants no part of it. Clemson plays the absolute bare minimum. Bare minimum, yeah. yes. And they're pumping all the money into football. They focus it on football. Yeah. So to PK's point, if the NCAA cuts the minimum by two sports, <laughs> what's Clemson going to do? They're going to drop gonna two, sports. two sports. They're not out of money. They're just putting it all into football. That really does piss me off. I don't know why, but it just does. Uh, so rich get richer, and you didn't grow up rich, and so anytime there's any sniff of that, you turn your nose up. Like, that sucks. I am the little guy. I want to see the little guy succeed. A little guy to have an opportunity. And you talk about all those schools back east. and mm-hmm. it's, you, didn't, you didn't mention east. You mentioned Midwest and south. It's also in the east. east. I mean, my sister went to a school. It's now called Rowan because the guy donated money to me, and they changed the freaking name from Glassboro State. And you talk to anybody who went to Glassboro State, it just gets under their skin big time. It's not called Glassboro State. Well, they have a Division three football program, and it's a big, big deal back there. And for those kids who get that opportunity, to me, that's what it's about. That's it's like it's the purest form of football. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, They're not going to the NFL. No. They're not going to the NFL. But they're hard-nosed kids who bust their butts just the same. And they get an opportunity to play for a few extra years. You know, and they they form lifetime friendships and all that stuff. It sounds hokey, but it's true. And you'd hate to see that stuff go away. I hate to see any sport go away. It doesn't matter what it is. More sports, particularly at the high school level. Why in the hell do they not have high school boys volleyball around here? That just makes no sense to me. What? Why? What's? What, you're all things to all people. Why? No why idea. Why do we have high school bo- volleyball? No idea. That makes no sense whatsoever. Uh, that they didn't have that. Uh, like the Jake Gibb plays on the. He's a little bit older now, but for years he played on the beach volleyball tour, and they didn't have high school. He didn't play high school volleyball because they didn't have it. He went to the U of U and they didn't have it, so he didn't play there. And he used to. He used to laugh when they, they always make these big introductions on the beach. Karch Karai, three-time Olympian, three-time NCAA <laughs> champion, blah, 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 blah. Jake Gibb, one of 11 kids. <laughs> well, of course, you know, after a while, then he was an Olympian and, and then became a big-time volleyball player. I've seen him play in person a number of times when I've been down there. And, so, and they actually use his picture on the hang the murals around whether it's at Hermosa or Manhattan or wherever they're playing, you know, the AVP. And so he became a superstar there. But in the beginning, he used to joke that that's what they would introduce him. That was his claim to fame. He was like the, the youngest of 11 children or something like that. I, f- I forget what he told me. Uh, so to me, I want more opportunities, not less. But I'm a, I, I, 
and it doesn't I don't have any kids doing that, so I have no personal stake in it. I just want generally. Uh, but it worries me that or concerns me anyway that opportunities are going to be denied, even if it means it doesn't mean anything in the grand scheme of things. And if you go to the games or matches or meets or whatever they are, it's just a few family and friends. So what? To them, it's a big deal. My son played high school tennis, and like you say, that you know today's attendance thirty-seven. You know, and it was definitely a couple of buddies, a few parents, and ditto for the other team. Uh, but I think the the advantages of being in a group, something that you're you're working on, and you're working yeah. on it as a group, and you know the there, there was stuff he'd do, and you know you, you win, you lose. How well do you control your temper? And the coaches were good at talking to him about that. You know, everything can't come from me. It's great to have other role models. You know, teachers, parents, you know, leaders in whatever activity. You know, non-athletic. Uh, that your kids might be involved in. What is this control your temper you speak of? <laughs> Good one. All right, when we come back, Craig Bowlerjack and then Joe Ingles at 9 o'clock. Jazz talk coming up. Wow, two days off. I guess for the guys who sat, three days off for Joe. We'll talk with him about that and about to getting fresh here for the playoff push. We will talk with Joe coming up at 9. Bowler's next. Stay with us. DJ and PK brought to you in part by Mark Miller. DJ and PK in the morning is brought to you by Mark Miller Subaru. Time to welcome in the TV voice of Utah Jazz, Craig Bowlerjack. Bowler, good morning. DJ, PK, how are you? Good. Good. How are the Jazz? They looked a little tired. There was a lot yeah. of talk about that. You're not around them as much, obviously, COVID protocols. So, you know, you're at the top of the lower bowl and... You're not to be, you know, sitting down in some room yakking with them like you might in another year doing a pregame interview with Quinn or whatever. Now you gotta you gotta zoom those like we zoom everything else too. So it's a little different, but you still probably have a sense of it. How critical are these two days off, and how gassed were those guys who uh, who got to sit over the course of that back to back? They had what four or five guys sit. Yeah, yeah, they had uh, Joe and Clarkson and. Uh... Uh, Royce. Let's see, and Royce, Royce. and Conley so sat think, the night before. Yeah, I think you know it was good. Uh, I think Royce, you know, obviously it's good. Maybe just a step back. He's been struggling from the three. Take a breath. Uh, Joe rests, you know, rest the knee. Um, so and Clarkson's what four games with the ankle. So it, I think it's good. I mean, George Niang in the post game interview that we had, you know, he said he was looking forward to it. In a big time way, and I, I think everybody is. They played a lot of basketball, and you know a lot of back to backs and a lot of four games and six nights. Look, I'm broadcasting, and I, I was glad they had these two days off. But you know, nothing like going out and playing. Uh, luckily, they've been home, which helps, I think, <clears throat> because the travel was, uh, you know, it, it, you could you know mark the the the, uh, the travel off this week, but. Look, it's been a long season, but in the in but it's it's compacted. It's you know you're playing 72 games in a much shorter period of time, trying to get everything fit in. Look, we'd be in the playoffs right now if this was you know quote normal, right? And uh, we're already nearly into May, and you know the, the playoffs start the 22nd. The last game of the season's on May 16th, so there's still a long ways to go. But things are beginning to sort themselves out, you know. I, and you asked the question about down the road. Of, you know, will we see this more? I'm sure. I mean, yesterday the, some GMs came out to say that the, uh, the 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 way the schedule's been put together and the games coming at 
teams fast and furious has elevated some of the injury levels of what's happened in the league, especially after the ACL tear by, by Jamal Murray. So there may be something to that. Only players can answer that question. I know you got Joe coming up. What do you say, DJ? I'm the warm-up act today. Is that right? That's you are good. the warm-up act. Yeah, I like that. Joe, are you listening? I like that. I'm like the starter. This is, you know, I'm like, you know, warming up the the crowd for the for the main the main attraction. So that's good. That's good. <laughs> you say the playoffs start on May 22nd. Is that that's not the Jazz playoffs though? Is that the the play-in the, that they have with the seven and eight and eight and nine? Do you know, or does that you know, start earlier so the Jazz start the 22nd? I think that that actually is probably a, a Thursday. I don't know, PK. I'm guessing. All I, I'm looking at the numbers on what you know. You know, it's going to be the 16th, the last game, 22nd. I'm guessing like a Thursday or a Tuesday, however they want to do it with TNT, uh, obviously leading the way with with broadcast. Uh, those playing games, the Jazz, if they hold on to the one seed, may not know their opponent until obviously two days prior, which yeah. will be really um, <laughs> probably for Quinn, ah, nothing new. The way the last two seasons have gone, the bubble um, and the playoffs there, and now the playoffs already coming back again at you. So uh, I don't think anything surprises head coaches in this league anymore because things just happen almost in an overnight way. But, yeah, those play-in games, uh, they could really impact the Jazz not knowing who they play until uh, the last you know two days of the season. So the Jazz then would have a good four or five days off before they start. I think so. I think days. most of the league would, except for the, the, the those four teams that they're going to try to get playing, you know, opportunities to. Okay. So I think uh, what Mark Cuban wasn't ran, Luca weren't real happy about that just a few nights ago as they're, you know, hovering in that seventh spot. Uh, so I think you'll still see some movement there. You know, don't know what the status is um, in the long run. I think it's a week now for LeBron and maybe two for uh, AD with the Lakers, but those are a couple of teams we've talked about before, PK, where I'm not sure the Lakers care or the Clippers or the Nets. Nets are making their move, uh, even though they, they, they set, what, Harden and KD last night. I think Kyrie played, and I think also Blake Griffin set. So I, it could happen. I mean, I think this is just one of those seasons where, you know, a player needs the rest mentally you know it's more than it's physical and mental and so it could happen absolutely so the season ends may 16 which is a sunday the play-in tournament is may 18 to 21 so that's tuesday through friday so even the playing teams get monday off which they you know they'll have to travel probably right, right? someone's gonna have to obviously maybe both teams will uh, the the traditional playoffs, the one through eight series, those start May twenty two, and usually that's a Saturday. So usually four series start on Saturday, four on Sunday. So the Jazz will go from Sunday to either the following Saturday or Sunday without playing. You know, uh, DJ PK, I believe that if you are the top seed team, I believe that you have the luxury of an extra day. So that could actually begin on Sunday. Yeah, I don't know that you'd want it after you've already been on five days. Yeah, I don't know. The way things, you know, you may say, well, if you got an injury, it's a great thing. But if you want to play and you're playing well, having a whole week off after playing every other day or the multiple back-to-backs, I don't know. It's uh, Joe would know. Uh, I think, you know, a couple, three days would be awesome. But then you kind of want to just continue and get to it. 
because uh, I'm looking at the schedule, too. They play their last two games on the road, Oklahoma City and Sacramento. So they're going to have to come home, you know, after two, three days, a Friday-Sunday uh, road series. One of the developments that I've liked here as we've moved uh, into the second half and down the stretch of the season is Bogdanovich going to the basket. And sometimes he does it with reckless abandon, and I am all for it because I figure that if he regains his shooting touch from the perimeter, which he's shown obviously signs of doing it, and now has that confidence to put the ball on the floor, not get it stripped, and find his way to the bucket or to the free throw line. And the other night he was 10 for 10 from the line. That's just a positive. So I'm looking for that to continue going down the stretch and into the postseason, even if he's hitting from the outside. Why not continue to do that? Because that's been an effective weapon. Totally agree. I think, uh, you know, both Thurl and and Matt have told me, look, and I think we all kind of know when you're struggling, what do you do? You want to see the ball go in. So Bokey uses his body, and I, that's the one thing that surprised me when the Jazz you know, signed him was we all knew him and we saw him, saw him as an opponent, as a three-point shooter, but he really has the NBA body to go inside and finish, and I think he's starting, starting to realize that more and more. And if you're struggling from outside, go to, go to the next level of what, what works. And then start inside, work your way back out. But he's really been able to mix – uh, the last couple of games, he had 33 against the Wizards in that loss. He had 23 um, against OKC. So there's signs that you know he's gaining more confidence. He's still fell on the wrist. I still think the wrist plays in his head a little bit. Uh, you know, he looks at it. Um, you know, he stretches it a lot. But look, it takes a long time uh, to come back from injury like that. That's your your right hand, your shooting hand. And you're always kind of, I think, in the now of where it is. And if it's got a twing, you know, it can, it can play mind games with you. But I think he's a big piece of going forward. You get another guy that is more confident and also starting to put up double-digit 20-point you know, games. Uh, and they didn't have him in the bubble. And everyone always talks about that, trying to beat uh, after up 3-1 on Denver. Didn't have Bogdanovich in Orlando. And so this is just another big piece, a uh, uh, part of you know the drive to the finish. I hope he stays consistent because it's it's been a tough year for him, up and down, and he's starting to show shot signs of, I think, just finding that confidence that you have to have. The West isn't quite as uh, jumbled as it was. I'm not convinced there's going to be a lot of movement because I think a lot of teams are going to have to rest guys. There's so many back-to-backs the rest of the way. So I'm kind of thinking that the West is pretty much set. Maybe the Lakers catch the Nuggets for four, but that's 4-5, so it would be the same matchup, just flipping home court advantage. Do you see anybody who's likely to make a move? Is there anything you're really watching down the stretch, or are we going to finish where we are? Uh, that's a good question. I, I, you know, I was thinking Dallas was, uh, maybe had a punch or two left. And then I really thought Denver would be the same, but now with a Jamal Murray injury, man, that really tosses things into the air. Um, Portland's Portland. I mean, it's just kind of the way it seems to be with Damian Lillard and, and McCollum in the backcourt. I love, I love the way they play, but it's just hard for them to hit that, that next level. Uh, Lakers, I don't, again, I don't know. PK, I think you and I talked about this a week or so ago. I'm not sure they care where they are, uh, just because of who they are. 
and the way LeBron approaches the playoffs, you know, he'll, he wants to be in high gear and we'll see how healthy Anthony Davis is, uh, you know, calf and, and Achilles actually, how it holds up. But, you know, Phoenix is still a team that the Jazz, you know, they're a game and a half out. They could, they could steal the, the top seed away. Um, they're good. They're good. They're fast. And I think that's the one thing, you know, that, that has been the one Achilles for the Jazz is just keeping up with, with backcourt, you know, with speed. We saw it with Beal and Westbrook. You know, there's a lot of similarities the way Chris Paul and, and Booker play on running downhill. Transition defense is always something Quinn's preaching. And I think that's going to be obviously a, a big factor in how, how successful the Jazz will be. But talk about how these teams don't worry about where they finish. And I'm wondering, why wouldn't the Jazz? I mean, of course you want the one one seed. But if it doesn't happen, and because they maybe rest a guy or two or what have you, and Phoenix gets it, okay, so you got it. Good, good yeah. for you. But why wouldn't we, why wouldn't we say why would the Jazz be so concerned with it too? I think it's at home court, which plays into the hands of the Jazz. And look what they've done at home this season. Uh, you know they've had the three losses, but PK, I still think you know the Jazz have a huge uh, advantage with this fan base and the energy they bring. Um, you know it also, and again, you make a good, interesting point though. If if the Lakers. It all depends on how everything falls, 1-8, and then, you know, how the second round, you know, matches up. What if the Lakers, you know, are a four, and they jump up, and then the Jazz have to play L.A. in the second round? So what if the second, what if the two-seed played into their favor? You know, who knows? But, uh, you know, sooner or later, you just have to come to realization, in the Western Conference especially, any team you play, there's six teams out there that have potential to win it in the West. And that's the thing that really, I think, tells the tale of how good the West is and how every night you have to be on your game. Uh, there's no letdowns. There's no nights off. And especially the second half of the season because uh, most of the teams the Jazz are playing are out of the West. I'm having a problem getting worked up for any of the debate about these individual awards. The Jazz are the one seed. How far can they go? Can mm-hmm. they get back to the finals for the first time in more than 20 years? To me, those questions are so compelling. I'm having any problem working up any enthusiasm for coach of the year, player of the year, or a defensive player of the year, blah, blah, blah. This other question is so fascinating. I just I can't get into the other stuff. Am I alone? Am I an outlier? Well, Ben Simmons will tell you who's the defensive player of the year. <laughs> so, no, you know, look, there's so much, you know, going back to the championship is something that's been in the Jazz minds for a long time. And now ownership, Ryan Smith, that's something that's on his mind as well. Um, you know, last year, let's just go back a year where the Jazz were hyped nationally to be the team, and it didn't work out that way. This year, they can't get a lot of love because uh, the focus is on the Nets, the focus is on the Lakers, the Clippers, but the Jazz are still the, the, the top team in the NBA. And, and you know, I tune in to national broadcasts, and there isn't a lot to be said about the success of this franchise at this moment. And there's still doubters about Rudy Gobert and Donovan. Uh, I'm sure Joe will tell you that that's a motivator. I mean, down deep, it's got to be. So, that's what I, you know, I, look, it's going to work itself out, whoever is the award winner, right, in all these categories. The real focus is, you know, where you, where you finish in the sense of, you know, the Western Conference, can you win it and can you actually find yourself back 
with a shot to win a championship. And I love this team because it is a team. Uh, they've got you know two great stars and what Mike Conley brings uh, and what Joe brings. And, uh, you know, it's, it's intriguing to see how far they can go with depth. You know they they've started to show they've got some players that can that can use their minutes when they're asked to get on the get on the floor. I mean Brantley the other night was a beast, and I'm glad he got minutes to show showcase who he is. And Miaoni continues to develop, and Niang, uh, who started horrific this season. When we talked to him, I mean he was in the 19 percent in the 20s shooting threes, and now he's you know really found his game which will obviously play into the Jazz hands for another three-point shooter. So, yeah, you know, you can get caught up in all the awards, but the bottom line is win it. Win it. And I think that's what the Jazz are more focused on than they are on, on individual awards. Speaking of win it, a DJ scoffs at me, but they're they're bearing down on winning and clinching the Northwest Division, and I just think that it should be a big deal. And he continually mocks it, man. They've held hung banners, and now with the Jamal Murray injury, this pretty well cinches that the Jazz are going to win the Northwest Division. And I love the fact that you laugh, Bowler, because I've already won. You're the man, Bowler. Thanks for backing me up. But you know what, though? I can hear P.K. sarcasm, too. I mean... <laughs> he didn't care about the division title when there were four, and now he's making a big deal when yeah, there's six? Yeah. No. They've no, got it, and they've hung banners, it. man. Look, it's about the banners. I get it, P.K. Wrap yourself in the banner, right? Yeah. Northwest Division champion. I, I mean, I believe you should be emceeing it when that goes into rafters. <laughs> Tina Turner, simply the best. Yeah, yeah play it. The best. Yeah, there it goes up, up in the rafters. Look, it's the first step, right, PK? That's what you're saying. The first step. It's one. It's That's a, a downgrade. Step. That's then a downgrade. They've got the divisions, and I'm not going to ignore them. If they <laughs> if they were worthy of being ignored, we wouldn't have them. Ah, you're going, Glenn Close. I will not uh, be ignored, Michael. <laughs> I haven't seen that movie in a long time. I haven't either, but that that scene and that line, that'll stay with you. <laughs> and I'd like to put DJ in a boiling pot on the <laughs> See, you don't have to see the movie to get a couple of the references. Now, it's going to change my whole day. I just did it right there. The boiling, the rabbit uh, in a pot coming, of water. Coming out of the tub with the knife, I jumped about uh, 10 feet. <laughs> Boy, I don't have to. I don't have to see the movie again, nope. PK. It's, there it I, is. I just replayed it right there. All right, That's Bowler. Vision, man. Bowler, we will let you go. You have warmed up the audience for Joe Ingles. You are yeah. the man. Well, you know, I did my best. I played that solo guitar. I'm gonna. I'll, I'll play the guitar on the way out and the drum solo later. But uh, yeah, Joe's ready. The stage is set, and it's, it's Joe Ingles' time. It's Jingles' time. <laughs> Thanks, Bowler. All right, guys. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Hang with us. Joe's coming up in a few minutes. Stay with us. The Big Show. The Big Show. With Jake Scott and Gordon Monson.
Our friend Dirk Facer on with us. Spring ball wrapping up with Utah. How open is the quarterback competition going to be in fall camp? It really depends on Cam Rising's health. If he's not good to go with that shoulder, then I don't think there's a competition at all. Just like spring ball, Charlie Brewer's getting most of the reps. I wouldn't be surprised if that happens this fall based on Rising's health. They're saying right now it's going to be an open competition. You know, in this world of Zoom conferences and not being able to watch practice, I guess we've got to take them at their word. It's an open competition, but the Brewers statistics have got a great insurance policy there. Catch the Big Show weekdays from 2 to 7. Presented by Big O Tires. The team you trust. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We're brought to you in part by Syringa Networks. Working from home or with a hybrid workforce, get a powerful IT partner with Syringa Networks. Call them at 385-420-7881 or visit Syringa Networks. Dot net. You see this breaking news? What do we got? Lamarcus Aldridge is retiring. No, I did not. Yeah, he has an irregular heartbeat. Oh. Well, if you look on his Twitter, and I assume it's legitimate. It's got the blue check mark. It is his Twitter feed. The one better now. I felt with my heart that night was still one of the scariest things that said. With that being said, I made the decision to retire from the NBA. Wow. Right decision, man. <laughs> if he has any concern about that. <laughs> I mean, obviously, 15 years in the league, that's a phenomenal career he's had. Made a ton of money. But if you got that situation there, that's pretty scary. So, uh, and if you look at his uh, Twitter picture, what they call that thing, your uh, avatar, uh-huh. it's a picture of two young boys. I assume those are his children. I don't yeah. know that. It might have been him when he was a kid. But uh, anyway, there's obviously things that are far more important than playing hoop. And if you've got that situation with your health, go ahead and do that and take care of yourself. So he's uh, out for the Nets there. And, and the Nets have just had one wacky season, man. Oh, my gosh. And and a good one. They have had, they're putting together a really good year, but they cannot keep anything resembling a team on the floor. Now, partly they've been adding guys all year, so they've been doing it themselves. But even once they add them, these guys are just playing here and playing there, and they have one of their big three, and they go out and get Aldridge, and he's gone. I mean, yep. what, they've had a three right three big names since the season started because they added Harden. They brought uh, well, Marcus Griffin, Aldridge, Aldridge. In, I mean, in, in secondary roles, but they are bigger names. I'll grant right. you. Yeah, Harden is still a very good player. Harden's one of their I big three. That, yeah, yeah. I think Harden was actually playing the probably the as well as any time I had seen him play, and obviously he has had some big time offensive years there. So you you wonder with all this mishmash that they've been going through, how could they possibly get it together? But for them, it's not necessarily exclusively about this season anyway. I mean, if they win the title next year, that's just as well. Yeah. Uh, and you'd have to think they'd be a contender next year uh, with all the talent that they have. But uh, Mark Soldier is stepping down, stepping aside, retiring. Uh, 15 years is a long time, so... Uh, I'm sure it's somewhat bittersweet, but he got to experience a lot in mostly Portland and San Antonio uh, coming out of uh, University of Texas, I think it was, where he played. So uh, uh, good good for him for making that decision to take care of himself there. Say, if he says it's scary, that could only mean one thing. It was scary. <laughs> right. It scary, yeah. Uh, he says, it says uh, later on after the game, my heart rhythm got even worse, which really worried me even more. The next morning I told the team what was going on, and they were great getting me to the hospital and getting me checked out. 
Yeah, when you're dealing with that, man, basketball, secondary. What's the next word? Tertiary? What is it for four? Fourth wear? I don't know. Point is, <laughs> the point is it's way down the list. Let's make up some words, PK. Know. Let's go. Sick you know, we were talking about this a week ago about trying to figure out of the playoffs, how teams match up, and he said at the time, but you know, the NBA history tells you there's going to be more injuries going forward, so no matter what we think, we're going to have to readjust for a team because they're going to lose somebody. It, it happens. It happened all the way into the NBA Finals with the Warriors, and it's happened in other playoff series with other teams. And, and that was like a week ago, and since then... We've had Jamal Murray tear his ACL, and now LaMarcus Aldridge, who, you know, as you point out, he's, he's not the star. He's a rotation guy at this point. Um, but that's, that's two major changes right there, and who knows what's coming in the next month before the playoffs start. And who knows what will happen once we get to the playoffs. I mean, I think when LeBron gets back, he'll probably be healthy because his injury, you know, getting stepped on, it's, uh, you know, it's kind of, I think it's kind of a one-time deal, and when he's... When he's healthy, he'll be healthy and he'll be ready to go. But I look at Anthony Davis's injury and think, well, there have been examples of other guys who've rested, come back, but re-injured themselves. And whether it's the Achilles again or whether, like we're seeing Durant have all these hamstring injuries coming back from the Achilles, and i got to think that somehow they're related. You know, is something else going to be impacted? I expect LeBron will be healthy, but I don't know what to say about AD. Well, LeBron's LeBron, man. He's the ultimate I mean, seeing him out on the floor on that time was just shocking because we've never seen that. This guy's been indestructible. He's a massive human being, and he's been so durable. He's been everything you could possibly want in a basketball player. I don't think you can say anything other than that as far as his on-court ability and just everything that he brings to the actual game. I don't give a crap about his politics. It's uh, I'm a fan of his for the what he does on the floor, and it's unbelievable to so see him on the ground was just stunning. So I have to believe that he's using this time to and it's going to double-edged sword here. He's getting healthy and getting rested. So, man, you talk about come out uh, blazing. I suspect that that's what he's going to do. Anthony Davis has been injury-prone his entire career, and I'm not sure what's going on there, but some guys have that issue. Look at Dante Exum, right? I mean, that kid can't catch a break health-wise to save his life. And every time you turn around, he's been down. And now it's more than just a a coincidence. It's it's a common occurrence. Davis isn't to that level, but Davis has had injury issues too. So you have to suspect that maybe not in the playoff, but down the line, he's going to have injury issues again. Whereas LeBron is the ultimate durable player. All right, DJ and PK, Joe Ingles is next. Stay with us.